Hey there, welcome to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, pureandsimplebible.com, and I am grateful to start a new conversation with you this week. I've got Brother Glenn Osborne with me, and we are having a mini-series entitled, Who is Our God? And this was something that I got to hear, fortunately, Glenn preach at my home congregation at Valley Parkway Church of Christ back in November. And as a result of that lesson, I knew that I wanted to have it on the podcast because it's such a great conversation as well. Um, I don't want to spoil too much about it, but it does come from Acts 17, and it's not just a topical sermon about who our God is. So be ready for that. And uh, yeah, let's just uh, go ahead and introduce with that. And so here we go. Let's jump into the conversation, shall we? I would imagine that the majority of people who I know listen to the program already know who you are because you've been on my program and they know you from years and years and years of preaching. But let's imagine that there is somebody who didn't know who you are. Can you take a minute to introduce yourself and um, what you do for the Lord? Uh, Sure. I'm Glenn Osborne. Um, been a preacher for a long time after I decided what was the most important thing in life and who was God. And I learned a real good lesson. Uh, God's God and I'm not. He is worthy of, of service. So I began serving him. And uh, I've been thankful to be able to do that my whole almost 69 years. I didn't realize 59 years, 69 years, no, 69 years. <laughs> when you get old, you don't care anymore. <laughs> uh, no, but um, uh, I right now I reside in Oklahoma City and and I'm very blessed. So, so you've been working with a church there in Whispering Pines uh, for a number of years. You're also an elder at mm-hmm. that congregation as well. What's it like to be a preacher and an elder? Ah, um, it's good. It's good. Um, I'm thankful for that. Uh, it's a responsibility that's, that's great, but you're glad you, you can serve the Lord in that way. Sheep without a shepherd is always in the negative in the scriptures. And even though we have this, the complete word of God, and even though we have very competent teachers, uh, sometimes, Making decisions and making wise decisions is is difficult, even no matter what the age. And so having a group of people that depend on you and you depend on them uh, is is a good thing. We're all part of the body and we all contribute what we have. But it's it's good to be in a functioning group of people that are all devoted to serving a God who is wonderful. So um, it's really I'm really thankful for that, for the providence and all the things that went together to make that to make that possible. I am so intrigued by the work that you do, that Alan Bailey does, and other uh, let's see, Brian Burns mm-hmm. preachers and who are also elders, because uh, we just ordained elders at Valley Parkway um, about a going on in two years ago, and it was really nice to give a lot of that pastoral work back to them because mm-hmm. a lot of times preachers do pastoral work. So I guess I'm intrigued because it was as though you've taken on that pastoral work 
you know, and y'all have been ordained for several years as well, but, um, here I am trying to give it up and you know, you're taking it back, but we're, we're in two very different phases of life. So yes, I think yes. there's probably a sense of urgency to what you do. Whereas I'm, I'm just ready to get rid of some of those things. So, <laughs> well, it, it, um, you guys who do have a lot of energy and a lot more knowledge of technology and other things, those of us who are older really do kind of depend on you to help us in this new world of, of, uh, communication. <laughs> so we're, we're thankful for you. <laughs> well, Glenn, you preached a sermon at Valley uh-huh. Parkway at the end of November. So at the time of this recording, it was about a month and a half ago. Um, mm-hmm. and your family was in town. It was really nice to get to see, um, a lot of y'all and there was others in town as well, just kind of coming through for Thanksgiving. And because you stopped through, um, you preached for us, and the title of the the sermon you preached, and the title that this podcast is going to be is "Who is Our God," and you took it in a direction I wasn't expecting, right? The way that you um, kind of introduce things, it seems like it's going to be this topical apologetics type sermon, but then it turned into more of an expository of Acts seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, before we maybe introduce some of the thoughts about the study itself, maybe just, can you give our listeners, uh, an insight into your motivation for the sermon? What, what kind of inspired you and led you to, to write this down and want to present it to places whenever you visit and preach? Ah, um, well, a lot of times whenever you're, uh, involved with churches and things like that. People look at the, at what's going on. You know, we're distracted by busyness, uh, around us and things. And, uh, of course, whenever we worship, our focus turns to God and, and his blessings, but it's his, still his blessings, uh, to us. And we, we are aware of God and, and his excellencies. We're aware of God's love, his loving kindness. We're aware of what Jesus did for us. And, and so our concept or our understanding of God uh, is great. But sometimes we, there are people who come that don't know who God is and why we would worship God and uh, what faith is all about and and they they look at faith almost like it's a feeling sometimes you know mm-hmm. uh like it's it's just a choice of of how much am i personally going to commit to believing in god and that's a great faith or or a little faith and it's more of a leap into the unknown but the bible doesn't talk about faith that way and so i i thought it's good just to have a sermon introducing god who is our god and uh that's exactly what Paul did to the Athenians in Acts 17, like you said. And so I thought, what a perfect um, uh, way to really introduce God to people who may not be uh, aware of it or hadn't really meditated on the fact that, that uh, you know, of who God is and why we worship him and, and such the such light. I, I basically start out with atheism, though, too, whenever I give my sermon saying, right. if there is no God, nothing matters. Um, if there is a God, nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. And of course that's, that's true, but we don't often make the whole hog commitment and say, yes, if I believe then nothing else is more important. 
um, then finding out why we were created, where are we going, what are we doing here, and what, you know, what does God have for me to do? How am I supposed to respond to this God? So, you know, it's like the atheist that shows up at the door passing out tracks and the track is blank, you know. <laughs> if, if there is no God, then nothing matters. And that's, that's what a lot of people, they, they say, I want to believe that there is no God, therefore I'm not morally accountable. But that's really unreasonable. But is it unreasonable for us just to say faith is a feeling and we need to have a great feeling? Or if I, what if I go to a church that isn't big on feelings, you know, uh, right. do I have a little faith? I don't feel very faith, faith, full of faith this morning, you know, and stuff like that. Right. But, but faith, feelings come from faith. Feelings mm-hmm. come from faith. It's, it's, it's like, um, Joseph and, and his father, you know, the, Joseph was uh, they unliked by his brethren because they were in visions. They were told they were going to bow down to their brother, and this was their little brother, and they hated that idea of bowing to their, you know, dumb brother. Uh, so they wanted to kill him because he was loved by his father. His father had made him a coat of many colors. Well, he was out away from his dad and. And uh, they grabbed him and they threw him in a pit and they th- said, let's kill him. And th- then we won't have to mess with this kid anymore. Uh, but then they saw some uh, Reuben, one of his brothers, saw some slave traders. And they said, no, 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 We're, let's not make this bad. Let's, let's just sell him. And so they sold him and he went to Egypt. And that was providence. All of that happened so that later on God could accomplish uh, his will. Um, but what I'm trying to say there is that the father, when he received the coat of many colors, uh, had blood on it. He assumed that a wild animal had killed his son and he had feelings of grief. Well, he had been lied to, you know, and so sometimes when people are lied to or deceived, they have feelings that aren't really based on anything. Mm-hmm. And so okay. sometimes when people are alone, they have feelings that aren't really based in, in truth or, or, or in reality. Yeah. And so my point is, is that faith is not a feeling. Feelings come from what is true and what is right. Failing, feelings come from faith. Once we know God, then we can love him. Yeah. Once we understand a little bit more about him, then we can give him commitment and then we can have peace. But um, faith is not a feeling. Fe- feelings come from faith. I like that. I like that a lot. And and you said something um, just a minute ago about whenever you were thinking about uh, how people view God, and especially this question of who is our God, that sometimes people are trying to um, consider God to be something like they already are, something that they already know. And so Acts 17 really kind of verse by verse explains the true nature of God. Um, I have this written down on a a notebook from your study, um, Mm -hmm. so I want you to comment on it. But you you started the study with a scripture from Psalm 50, verse 21, and it's God speaking, uh, and it says, you thought that I was like yourself, Mm -hmm. talking uh, about God uh, speaking to humanity, as though there was this thought that uh, we could be like God or uh, that God could be like us, that there was this commonality. But in this 
God is trying to express just how great and just how different he is. Mm-hmm. And you use that um, to kind of set up Acts 17. Can you take a minute and and help us understand that scripture and, and what, what it's got to do with this big meat of Acts 17? <laughs> right. Well, um, I think that a lot of times people think God is good or they want to worship a good God. Uh, but in unknowing, not knowing God very well, we tend to think he's like maybe some that we love in our family, maybe a, a grandfather or a, an old wise man, uh, maybe an overindulgent uh, grandfather, so to speak, or uh, things like that. But that that leads to wrong conclusions, and that's why God is is kind of telling these people, you thought I was altogether like you. You've made a big mistake. And uh, so sometimes we do do that. We, we think that God is like us. He doesn't see at night. You know, many people who sin, the Bible says, many people who sin, sin at night. And uh, they think that if they can hide from men, they must be hiding from God. And, and that's, of course, just not true. Um, and so man's shortcomings become our idea of God's shortcomings in our minds. And that, that demystifies God and, and puts him onto a level of, of common men. And that's what was so prevalent in Greek society and Roman society at that time is their gods were just like themselves in a lot of ways. They had many envies and covetousness and and uh, lying and, you know, shortcomings and <laughs> everything else. And Paul is dealing with that. I think whenever he gets to, to Acts, uh, to the Bereans and to the, the wonderful people there at Thessalonica and others in Athens, uh, their, their sense of God was very human-like. Mm-hmm. And so he says, mm-hmm. you thought I was altogether like you, and I'm not. Yeah. Now, you just mentioned a few of the people there. So, Let's uh, maybe give our listeners some context to this sermon, right? So in Acts 17, um, we're going to talk about when when Paul is uh, explaining to the Athenians about God, and he's going to, like you said, he's going to springboard off of one of their um, altars to the unknown God. You know, they're trying to cover every base, right? right? But before before the Athenians, um, you mentioned in your study— He's actually with the Thessalonians, and then he's with the Bereans. And so can you take a minute to you know, kind of set the context of this journey through Acts 17, starting at the beginning? Sure, sure. Paul, uh, Paul in his travels, uh, comes to Thessalonica, and he has some success there. And some of them persuaded, Acts 17 and verse 4 says, um, and... Uh, and joined Paul and another of a number of leading women. Uh, so it was, it was great, but the people who were envious and some of them, the scriptures described because they were sellers of maybe idols or, or in some way they just resented uh, Christianity because it, it condemned idolatry. They were angry with Paul and, uh, and the Jews were angry uh, too. men, these people were upsetting the world. Uh, those people who hated them said in verse six of uh, Acts 17, but Paul had to leave. Um, and in verse 10, they sent Paul and Silas away and they went to the synagogue uh, to Berea. And the 
people in Berea were more noble than the Thessalonians, the scripture says in verse 11, because they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. So they're commended by the scriptures, and Paul was blessed because they had an attitude of, well, you're right, faith isn't a feeling. We need to find out if these things are true according to the scriptures. And so they turned to the, to the Bible that they had, the Old Testament, to confirm the prophecies that they were being explained and, and to explain the, the teachings that they were learning. And so they, were more, they, were, they really were, were very grateful, and they examined the, the scriptures, the Bible says, daily. So this is a virtuous uh, attitude to double-check things. It's yeah. not questioning the Spirit. It's, it's really an obedience to Spirit. He, the Bible tells us to examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is uh, true. Uh, he said that to the Thessalonians again on a, upon an, in his letter to them. He says, examine everything carefully. So in obedience to the Holy Spirit, when we examine teachings of our churches, then that's a good thing. God considers that to be virtuous, not, not questioning, not, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it's important for people to understand that God extols the virtues of people who will check out things with scripture to see if it's true or not. And so then the Bereans, he, he taught for them for quite a, a while, but then uh, many of them believe, verse 12, but when the Jews at Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed in Berea, verse 13, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowd. So they got them to be uh, angry as well, and um, they protected uh, Paul, but he had to leave once again, and uh, they sent Paul as and uh, to um, Athens. That's where he came to verse 16. Paul shows up in Athens, and he's waiting for some of them at Athens to show up that, it, that had been other place. Uh, Timothy, uh, Silas and Timothy remained there for a while, and then he was going to come to them as soon as possible. And so Paul is in Acts 17, and he's just waiting. And he's kind of walking around Athens and looking around at all of their uh, street lined with idols. I mean, just right. it's it was just everywhere. According to pictures that they have of the, of the place, uh, these, these idols just literally lined on both sides of the street. Um, they and uh, Athens, of course, was full of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, as verse eighteen says. And uh, so, when Paul was was going am- amongst them, he said, I- "I'm I'm just curious, you know, about all of this stuff that you've got going on. That it, it was a hotbed for religion." And uh, but he he talked about as he walked around, he was concerned in verse twenty three. I was passing through and examining the objects of worship. I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So him, he, I declare unto you. So Paul is, is using all of this rich, thick, spiritual atmosphere and, and curiosity and, and a devotion to understanding and knowledge to, to talk to them about the nature of God. Uh, you know, and so he he really kind of set the the place, set the tone, 
so to speak. <laughs> now, Glenn, I could get on Google or maybe take a YouTube virtual trip or something and see some of the sites and observe maybe not the exact um, statues, but I could see some statues from a similar time period mm-hmm. uh, to these these idolatrous statues, right? Uh, in your study, you had some pictures in the, in the PowerPoint. How'd you find those pictures? And, and you know, if somebody wanted to go on a trip, where where would they go and see some of this stuff? Well, uh, you you just if you're going to the city of Athens, you're going to have a trip. You need to make sure your your progress or your you have an itinerary. So because there is a lot of history uh, there in in Greece and in Athens, and uh, it's just it's just beautiful. But you can go just. Um, do a, a search for, uh, I don't know, the gods of, of uh, Athens or uh, the, Athen- uh, the Athenian uh, History Museum or something like that. They have, they have quite a few of them that have been recovered and, and placed along. Of course, they're, not, they, they're no longer alongside the roads, but they've been put in museums. But right. um, you can see where they came from. And Athens itself was was full of all kinds of temples and uh, devoted to different kinds of deities. And he, so whenever he says, the King James uses the word superstition, but in reality, he says, I see that you're very religious. Uh, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I see that you're interested in spiritual things. And so he, uh, he wanted to talk to these people because of their curiosity because he had some things to say. So they yeah. brought him to the Oropagus in verse 19. And you can find that on maps. And that's some of the pictures I have. If you want to type in Oropagus, it'll show you Mars Hill, as it's called by some of uh, them. At that, we uh, It's called that by us because we use the word Mars to talk about the name of some of those gods. But uh, you can see the Oropagus and, uh, and look and see the actual place where Paul addressed the Athenians upon this occasion. I think that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's really cool. You showed a picture, I remember, of some stairs uh-huh. that while yeah. while they were, several of them were replaced, but this was the actual place that Paul would have walked upwards into the Areopagus, right? That's correct, yes. And then right, be... right next door is the Acropolis, or uh-huh. the, there, it's like a, it, uh, one of the pictures seems like there's a giant temple mound next to it. Right. Uh, maybe that's the Temple of Zeus. I'm not sure. But what what I mean, it seems as though there's just a whole lot of uh, imagery going on there. It's like Jesus versus, you know, uh, idols or Jesus versus, the, you know, this this pagan system. So as Paul's preaching, I mean, just the visual of it must have been stunning. It must have been amazing. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. In view of all of the shadows, if, if the sun was out and good, it would have been an amazing uh, sermon that day when Paul uh, went up to the top of, of Mars Hill there and turns to them and and begins to speak and and share his his uh, views. Let's see what this Eiler babbler has to say. They said, <laughs> so, "You know, I was in uh, London. It's probably been close to twenty years ago, but um, I think the the Natural Museum or Natural History Museum has." several statues from ancient Greece. I think they have part of the Parthenon and uh-huh. several other um, statues of their little G gods. Um, <laughs> but 
my my understanding is that it other than Greece itself, the Natural History Museum in London is one of the has one of the largest collections of of the things from that time than any other place in the world. Well, that would be that would be a good place. Do they have an online presence? Oh, I don't know. I imagine they do. I imagine, especially after COVID, you could probably take a virtual tour of it. Yeah. I'm, uh, I just typed in the Oropagus and other kinds of things, you know, and, and got some pictures because, and I, and I put it in my PowerPoint for a very important reason. I think that there are people in our audience who, when they read the Bible, almost think of it as a, uh, as a story, you know, as, as some kind something that's not really based in reality. But when we show pictures of where Paul was and, and we show these places and these were actual, you know, um, things that can be seen today, then it helps our, our kids understand that our faith is not based just on a wish or on a, a choice of a blind faith, but they're really based on, on historical uh, evidence, archaeological evidence that right. these places existed. And so it's, in, it's significant to let our kids know that these things are real. Now, in some of your international travels presently, you could probably comment on this as well. But for the years that I lived in Cambodia, I think sometimes in addition to feeling like this, you know, Bible narrative is it's almost a story like it's, you know, kind of so far ago, you know, that this couldn't have been real. It, and it's good to see pictures that, that show its reality in the same way. Idolatry, we th- we think as as something that's thousands of years ago, and this idol worship is is so far removed from modern culture. But where we lived in Phnom Penh, every house had an uh, an idol, and it was a mm-hmm. it was a little um it almost looked like a birdhouse, and people would uh, daily put incense into that little or right in front of that little house, um, and. I've probably used this example before, so you know, if anybody's listening and it's a repeat, forgive me. But the idea behind it is that to protect your house from evil spirits, uh, you would placate one evil spirit to live in that little house, and you would put food offerings and drink offerings and incense offerings so that that little uh, home would be, would be dwelled by a, uh, this evil spirit. And he basically would be like your yard dog, you know? He would... Mm-hmm he would keep all the other evil spirits away. And so you placated him. And this is the, the funny thing about it is that Buddhism has more in line with atheism than, than some sort of theistic worldview. And yet, even in this almost atheistic um, way of life, they needed to make sense of certain things, and they did so through superstition and idolatry. And this mm-hmm. is in you know 2023, Yes. A.D., not 2,000 yeah. years ago. Right. So uh, I know you've been to South Korea and you've, you've been to other places where perhaps there is some of the, this Eastern religion. Uh, right. Have you experienced any of that? Oh, very much so. Very much so. Uh, there are many people, like you said, they don't, they, they don't even think that God is, is completely knowable or understandable, but they do. They, they know there's a God. They just, he hasn't really revealed himself. So they, they go to their culture or they go to their history and have tried to find ways to placate the gods of, that exist, even though they don't know them. And that's almost what led to Paul's sermon. He said, to an unknown God. They had such a desire, uh, even though their, their uh, familiarity with the spiritual realm was so limited, they, 
they created a God to the unknown God. And then Paul began to explain that to him, uh, to them in verse 23 of, of Acts 17. So superstition is a, is a not the word I would use. I would say everybody has a, God has put eternity in the heart of man. He, he, men everywhere worship. They know that they are not uh, the ones that created the world in which they live. And so um, we have a sense. We just don't know that God. And he is an unknown God to many. I've often, as we get ready to look at the sermon proper, um, mm-hmm. you know, starting in Acts 17, verse 22 and 23, we've been, we've been talking about these two verses. So, um, I, for, for a long time, I've, I've used these, uh, couple of verses as a great example of how to engage with someone who doesn't see the things the way you do. Uh, Paul could have come out swinging about how, um, evil, um, idolatry is or how, you know, stupid they are for believing in rocks and trees and et cetera, that they've carved into things. But he begins with this statement, honoring them, saying, hey, I, I perceive that you're quite religious. And then he explains from a view that they would understand um, about this unknown God on this empty altar. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Maybe just from a perspective of um, best practices for interacting with people who believe differently than you. Well, we're going to cut it off right there. And I'm going to ask you to come back next week as we keep discussing this conversation about who our God is. And uh, it's a very exciting study. I really hope that you stick around. Um, This was episode one, and there's going to be three in it. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so that you can get to listen to and have it kind of download and be ready to go on your phone or your smart device. Um, whenever the episodes come out. So if you haven't already, subscribe, please, please, please. Okay, as I always say, and I always mean it, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, it's real.